Oh, yeah. What is up, Houston? It is hot. It is humid. I will be outside for the show today. And I'm wearing jeans. So the perfect combination to start things off on this Tuesday, Parker Thune. It's 92 degrees with a 500% humidity. And, uh, yeah, that's right. For the next four hours, I do have the shade of a tree here. But, uh, buddy, it is May in Houston, and I'm going to be sitting outside, and uh, it's a hot one today. So when you say Ooh, buddy, when you say you today. have the uh, the shade of a tree, are we talking just a single tree here? Like you're just posted up under yeah. one tree? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, like, legit. Like, not partly outside. Like, you can hear the wind. I uh-huh. am all the way outside with just the small shade of a tree to protect me. From this heat. But it's all right. I got it. Does that mean you're going to have to move as the sun moves to stay underneath the shade of the tree? Probably. Today will be the toughest thing that's ever been done in uh, ref history. So I I look forward to being the one that uh, gets to wear that today. But it's all right. Hey, Houston area listeners, you know the drill. The OU Caravan is tonight. So come by the Rustic. We're in downtown Houston, 1836 Polk Street. Come by if you're coming to the... OU Coaches Caravan tonight, show me that you have the ref app. And I got a whole lot of free t-shirts to give out. And if you would, would you maybe bring me some shorts, some jorts preferably? Is that weird to ask one of our listeners to bring by some shorts so I can change out of these jeans? Yeah, don't wear jorts, it's pretty Tyler. Just, uh, don't wear jorts. At that point, you There's might as well just cut the, uh, cut the legs off your jeans that you're wearing right now. <laughs> That's about to say, by the third segment, I might just make my own homemade jorts and just get some scissors <laughs> and cut my own jeans that I have here. I, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's getting sticky out here, but uh, but it's all good. Happy to be in Houston, and there's going to be a lot of fun tonight with Brent Venables, Jenny Baranchek, and uh, Porter Moser, I believe, is uh, coming out as well. Hey, um, I know that we may be a little bit late on this topic, but when spring ball was going on, we kind of went through some names that said, all right, this is kind of a make or break spring for these guys. And we said, you know, if they're going to make a real run up the depth chart and have some playing time next fall, they're really going to have to have a strong spring. So we listed a lot of names, but we didn't really revisit that at the end of spring ball. So let's kind of do that now. And let's start with the name that we had to start with when we originally had this conversation, Bray Walker. Again, I know spring ball is like almost a month removed. But is the scuttlebutt that Bray Walker, to lead things off, did everything necessary to put him in a good spot to play this fall? <sighs> Bray Walker, especially since he's a homegrown kid, he's one of those guys that you, you want to see him have success at some point. Uh, you, you want to see it happen for him. But is it going to happen? I, I haven't been convinced. I'm still not convinced, Tyler, and... I think it's the type of the type of deal right now for Bray Walker where there's going to have to be an injury before the Sooners are even considering putting him on the field because right now you're pretty locked in with your starting five at the offensive line when you're talking about Anton Harrison, McCade Mataire, Andrew Rame, Chris Murray, and Juan Gay Morris. So Bray Walker in his fifth year at the University of Oklahoma is going to enter the 2022 season as a backup. So it's really going to have to break right for him if he wants to make the most of his opportunity at Oklahoma. And, you know, maybe he's got the option to stick around for the sixth year in 2023. Maybe Mattire goes to the NFL. Obviously, Murray ages out at year's end. Uh, Maybe there are 
two open guard spots after this season where Bray Walker has an opportunity to contend for a starting job in his final season of college football. But I just don't, I don't see it happening in 2022 for him. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, now, Bray Walker is allowed to have a great summer, and he's allowed to have a great training camp. But what you started off with is absolutely accurate. It kind of feels like, you know, they have their a certain five figured out up front of the starting line, which is great news for this football team. If you have a pretty good idea of who your starting five is going to be on the O-line, good that you're going to head into training camp seemingly with that thought. But, yeah, for Bray Walker to play, he's going to have to, you know, light it up this summer, exceed expectations in the summer, and it's probably going to have to be injury-related um, if he gets out on the field, Parker. I, I think that that's pretty fair to say with him at this point. I, you're right. I think a lot of us are rooting for him to have a, you know, the, the, the story that ends well for him since he's been in the program for so long, but I don't, I don't really see him pushing for a starting spot after spring football. Yeah, nor do I. Uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line says, tell Tyler to strip down to the boxer briefs. It's downtown Houston. He'll fit right in. <laughs> There's no joke about that. Kendall says the heat index is 100. I think that that's on the low side. Uh, this said, what compelled you to bring jeans to Houston in mid-May? It's a great question. I uh, blame myself. Mistakes were made. But all of these uh, caravans have been inside, Parker. And I know that Houston is humid. I've been to Houston before. But I thought that this event was going to be indoors. I thought the jeans were going to be a safe move today. And uh, here I sit outside today. Jeans, not a good move. So I'll just uh, I'll suffer through it and somehow I'll, uh, I'll overcome, I guess. Hey, um, a- another name on this list that we talked about during the spring is Marcus Major. Now, Eric Gray had a great spring. Javante Barnes had an excellent spring, and Tawie Walker really flashed in the spring game as well. Did Marcus Major do what he needed to do to put himself in a great situation come the fall? He might be the most interesting name that we mentioned. Yeah, well, obviously with him being hampered by injury down the stretch in spring ball, that was what really opened the door for Tawie Walker to impress some folks with the performance he had in the spring game. But Major's kind of behind the eight ball here a little bit because now you got Walker carrying some momentum into fall camp. You have Eric Gray and Javante Barnes, it would appear, firmly established as the top two on the depth chart. And it, it this is all on Major's shoulders at this point, Tyler. If he comes out inspired in the fall and he proves that he can be the guy that we saw in the Cotton Bowl a couple years back against Florida in December 2020 – then maybe he earns a share of the touches in a role similar to what Ramondre Stevenson had in 2019 for Oklahoma. But I don't think he's supplanting Eric Gray. I don't think he's supplanting Javante Barnes. I think best-case scenario for Marcus Major at this point is RB3 at Oklahoma. Yeah, but he's got time, right? Um, Especially at running back, things can happen. Things can definitely happen in training camp, but things can happen during the season. We've seen that. We always talk about rodney anderson's 2017 season and rodney anderson was kind of a forgotten commodity going into the texas game in 2017 and then he winds up being again in my opinion the best running back in college football at the end of that season so it's not over for marcus major by a long shot he still has seemingly plenty of opportunities to break through but you're right man it's going to be pretty tough if eric graystale stays healthy if he looks like the back that he looked like this spring same thing for Javante Barnes and Tawie Walker. Marcus Major still has a real chance here, but 
he is really going to have to start playing his best football in the coming months and 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 make the most of his opportunities when the season happens because it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for him for sure. Yeah, it's a good way to put it, Tyler. It is an uphill battle, and it got even steeper when he had to sit out the second half of spring ball with that injury. Uh, here's another name. I, I don't know if this one is totally fair. Uh, maybe it is. David Ehwebu. Um He's he's kind of battling for one of those spots, maybe maybe out on the edge a little bit. Um, liked what we saw from Ethan Downs. Really liked what we saw from Marcus Stripling the past two times. What do you feel the situation is for David Ehwebu now going into the summer? Yeah, well, David Ehwebu, uh from everything I've been told and uh, everything that he's said in press conferences, it sounds like he's going to occupy that middle linebacker spot. And if that's what he's going to be doing in 2022, you have to figure that he's going to be playing second fiddle to Danny Stutzman. And Aguebu is a versatile enough body and He's got an impressive enough physique and a diverse array of talents such that I can see him bouncing around so that they try to get him on the field in whatever means necessary. But that, I, I'm glad you bring him up, Tyler, because I think otherwise he would have flown under the radar. This really is a make-or-break year for him at Oklahoma because you got Danny Stutzman coming on strong and looking like a surefire starter at the linebacker position. You got Jaron Kanick coming in. Uh, you got T.D. Roof. A sixth-year senior, probably going to factor into the snap count as well. And then Deshaun White as well. Shane Witter lurking in the background. A couple of developmental young guys and Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis. This is a chock-full linebacker room. And if David Aguebu doesn't break out the way that Danny Stutzman did last year, because that's if you think about the last five years at the University of Oklahoma, Kenneth Murray didn't really break out. Kenneth Murray was just always a stud. Yeah. But it seems like every single year there's been a guy who has legitimately broken out at the linebacker position, whether that's been Curtis Bolton or Brian Asamoa or Stutzman last year. If Aguebu isn't that guy in 2022, then, man, you have to wonder, is he ultimately going to end up playing second fiddle to Stutzman and Kanick for the remainder of his career at Oklahoma? Yeah, um, if, if Kanick is ahead of him on the depth chart going into the year, I, I have a feeling that, you know, with how much potential that kid has, Kanick gets a starting spot to open up the year. I He ain't giving it back. No, Parker. no shot. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, I mean, he, he still got a, I mean, mentally he still has a lot to to overcome with no the defense, you know, the speed of the game, all that. But he's going to figure it out. Kanick will figure it out. He's going to be a great player, just like Danny Stutzman will, just like Ethan Downs will. So I think you're exactly right. If he's behind Stutzman, if he's behind Kanick, with what we think those players are going to be, it's going to be really tough for him to be you know, someone other than just too deep on the depth chart. Um, someone else I wanted to mention in, in going to wide receiver is Theo Weiss. Now, Weiss looked really good in the spring game. He did. Made a couple of plays. I think on that first drive, Dylan Gabriel, what, moving to his left, completed a ball to Theo Weese down like the one-yard line. Heard some good things about him. I do think that he is a guy coming off of injury that did the things necessary in the spring. Again, it is not decided at all, but Theo Weese to me has put himself in a situation to maybe be the number three receiver on this football team. I, I, I mean, I would go a step further. I think Weese could be your number two in 2022 and obviously Marvin Mims is cemented atop that depth chart at the wide receiver position but 
I would put Weiss ahead of Drake Stoops. I think a lot of folks are counting on Jalil Farouk breaking out, and uh, I think there's a lot of credence to that notion because I think Farouk is going to be a star down the road at Oklahoma. But I don't know if we're giving Weiss his due if we're anticipating that Farouk is going to be wide receiver two over Weiss right off the bat. Could that become the case at some point down the line? Certainly. And I think beyond, when you look past 2022, uh, kind of with more of a long view uh, in your eyes with it, then Jalil Farouk might be wide receiver one in Norman come 2023. But for 2022, man, I'm really counting on Theo Weiss bouncing back strong. And I think given what he did in 2020, there's a lot of reason to believe that this guy is going to be a significant cog in the offense this coming season and could ultimately crack that 1,000-yard barrier. Air Cover Solutions text line says, what about that running back Jaden Knowles, Mr. Weatherman? I, I'm, it's a fun story, right? Like, everybody loves Jaden Knowles, and he's become one of the most popular Twitter presences on this roster. But I, the, the harsh reality is he's no higher than fifth on the depth chart at running back. It yeah. will be no higher than sixth once Gavin Sawchuck gets to town. I thought that he was going to be the story of the spring game. But it was Javante Barnes. And really, it was kind of Tawi Walker as well. We, we always see the you know fourth or fifth running back seemingly have their day in the spring game. Thought that that might be Jaden Knowles. But, nah, man, that was the true freshman. That was the uh, Juco transfer, uh, Tawi Walker as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I think Jaden Knowles is going to have a tough time getting some uh, big snaps this year. All right, keep it coming on the Air Coverage Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. I'm live at the Rustic in downtown Houston, 1836 Polk Street, talking more football, talking more recruiting on the other side. Keep it locked on the ref. We are the Homo Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We are the Homo Sooner fans in Houston today, downtown Houston at the Rustic, 1836 Polk Street, because the Sooner Caravan is coming through H-Town. Brent Venables will be here this evening along with a whole lot of OU fans in the Houston area. So if you're coming by, show me you have the Ref app, and uh, you'll be walking away with a free T-shirt. How about that? If you don't have the app, just search KREF in the App Store. You can get our free app. Listen to us wherever you're at on the go. Five-star quarterback out of the state of California, Jaden Rashada, uh, just announced that he will commit on June 18th. He also dropped his top schools, LSU, Oregon, Florida, Ole Miss, Miami, Cal, and A&M. So no OU there, but he is a big enough prospect that we'll uh, mention him for a second, Parker. Uh, again, five-star kid, 2023 class, no crystal balls in on him. But he did visit Oregon last weekend. Is the thought here that Dan Lanning may land his first big-time quarterback prospect in Eugene? Because... If Oregon gets good QB play, they might be a problem moving forward. Yeah, it's very hard to tell right now with Jaden Rashada. And look, for those that are devoted listeners of the show, you know that Jaden Rashada was very close to committing to Oklahoma back in January, but Jackson Arnold beat him to the punch. So ever since OU kind of came off the table, it's been – it's it, it, how, how, do, how do I put this adequately – it's just been a very serpentine path in this recruitment for Jaden Rashada. There was a time that Ole Miss was heavily trending. There was a time that everybody believed he was going to go to Miami. Arkansas made a run, but they didn't crack the top seven. It's really hard to tell. 
because it seems like this thing changes on a dime every few weeks, Tyler. So I think if I had to put money on it, I would say Oregon probably has the slight edge to land him, but I would not be comfortable predicting at this point in time that any of these seven schools uh, that are in his top list are going to get his commitment on June 18th because I think there still is a long way to go. He's still got to visit Florida. You have A&M looming. LSU is in the mix. And then Cal is kind of the black sheep of the top seven for Jaden Rashada. Kind of makes you wonder uh, if there's a little bit more be- below the surface on that. But, yeah, it's it's hard to say at this point with any degree of certainty where he ends up. Yeah, well, everyone agrees with you because there's no crystal balls in for him at all. So doesn't sound like really anyone has uh, a clue where he's going to wind up and his announcement's going to come soon. But that, that kind of leads us to talking about OU's quarterback situation in recruiting. And, Parker, it feels like, at least it feels like, it's going to be approached a little bit differently. Because under Lincoln, it was, all right, you get a five-star quarterback, and then, you know, maybe you get someone late, like a Chandler Morris, you know, but really, you're going to get a five-star in one class, and then two years later, you're going to get another five-star quarterback. It seemed like every two years is when you you were getting your real big QB signee. Under Levy, is that going to be different? Because you brought in Nick Evers this year. You got Jackson Arnold committed for the class after that. And then you and I have already talked about several 2024 quarterbacks. I know it's just a small sample size on what it could be, but it feels like OU is going to be bringing in a four-star, five-star quarterback every single year this cycle, and maybe a little bit differently than how Lincoln approached QB recruiting. Yeah, it will be different, and I think what Venables and Levy want to accomplish here, Tyler, is they don't want to, they don't want to put OU fans through what they went through in 2021 ever again. I think the prevailing notion within the staff as it stands today is, hey, we're going to have strength in numbers at the quarterback room, and we're going to get some elite talent on board, but we're not going to rely solely on one guy to figure it all out and be the dude and not have a contingency plan if things go haywire because the last two seasons, Tyler, the Sooners have had two scholarship quarterbacks. They've got four yep. already under Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. So uh, – it's ironic, isn't it, that Muleshoe tried to sell us all on a quarterback competition every single year, but the reality is that there's going to be more competition in the quarterback room under Venables and Levy than there was at any point while Muleshoe was the head coach. And we're not talking competition between two guys. I mean, we're already looking ahead to 2023, Tyler, and you could legitimately have a four-way battle for the starting job between Evers, Davis Bevel, General Booty, and Jackson Arnold. That's going to be the new normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if Dylan Gabriel leaves after this year, absolutely. If Dylan Gabriel stays for a second year, I mean, well, clearly he's, he's going to be the starter, and you'll see, you know, some of those guys, you know, transfer out. But, yeah, man, I I, I think I prefer just go ahead and getting a four- or a five-star quarterback every single year. And it seems like he's on the road to do that. Nick Evers was, what, a four-star last year, Jackson Arnold got a great chance to be a five-star coming up in this next class so yeah I mean it's it's going to be really hard not just for OU but for everyone to establish any sort of quarterback depth 
I think it's probably going to be a little bit easier, Parker, if you just take a quarterback every single year instead of waiting every two years to get your big-time QB prospect. That, yeah, I mean, you that, think that so. would at least be my guess. And I think Venables will be, quite honestly, better at convincing quarterbacks to come play for him every single year because he's the type of guy that's going to be able to sell them on legitimate competition. You know, Muleshoe... He kind of operated under the assumption that, well, you know, I'm going to get a guy once every two years, and that will be the guy for two years. And so you get a guy like Chandler Morris in the fold in the class of 2020, yeah, it was going to be hard for you to convince him to stick around when he was never in the plans. And I think the new approach is very much, hey, you know what, come in and you give us plans. You show us what you have to offer and we'll decide at that point what we're going to do at the quarterback position. With Muleshoe, it was always, okay, these are the plans. I'm going to make the plans. I'm going to formulate them as soon as I recruit these guys. And the plans all along are going to be, this guy starts for two years, this guy starts for two years, this guy starts for two years. Whereas uh, the new system is, hey, you know what? Let's bring in a whole bunch of guys. Let's have them compete. And Whatever we get, we'll roll with it because we know we're going to have healthy competition and we know that we're going to have a guy that has to go and win the battle, not just not lose it, but he has to go and beat somebody on the practice field. Text line says, who cares about future quarterbacks? We don't need one for three more years. We got booty. So, hey, it, I guess the future's established with booty, Parker. Um, I know that that's what everyone's rooting to happen. But is that not what is that not what everyone's rooting for? Is for Booty? No, to be it's it's what everyone's starting quarterback this year. But at like some point, oh my! What what if Booty leads you to the promised land and you finally win a national championship with him? Oh my goodness! I, like I, no disrespect to Nick Evers or Davis Bevel or Jackson Arnold, but we can all kind of agree at this point. Everyone wants to see General Booty start at Oklahoma at some point in time. Whether that is for one game or thirty, uh, um, it's got to be a home game too, right? Or yes. at least the OU Texas game in Dallas, where there's you know forty five thousand OU fans there, just so whatever the chant is going to be, the chant can be chanted in the stands. It's it's going to be as simple as "We got booty," right? I know that's simple and to the point, but. That, that just seems like so easy that that's what it's going to be. I'm already looking forward to the we want booty chance when the Sooners are up by seven touchdowns against UTEP in the fourth quarter. <laughs> there will be there will be chance to put uh, General Booty in the game. I guess, and I didn't see the clip. Maybe uh, Mike played it on uh, you guys' show today. I guess Jimmy Kimmel brought up General Booty on his show last uh, night. It was, it was uh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, I saw Jimmy the Fallon clip did. circulating. Nice. Uh, he had uh, the booty jokes. Everybody's got the booty jokes. Most popular backup quarterback that we've seen in quite some time in college football? I think probably so. I can't think of a more notable backup quarterback that we've seen in college football. I mean, it, it, This guy was on a late-night talk show, and he hasn't even taken a snap at OU yet. He may never take a snap at OU, Parker, and he's still probably going to be one of the most famous backup quarterbacks we've seen in the sport. Yes, and the second he does play a down, his name is going to be all up in the headlines on late night sports <laughs> TV. It'll be Scott Van Pelt's best thing I saw today. Yeah, no, it's 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 going to be awesome, man. Um, by the way, speaking of, you know how quarterback recruiting is going to look in the future. 
there's another position that I am interested to see how Jeff Levy handles. You know, and going back to, well, gosh, this one would be going back about 20 years. But J.D. Runnels was a great player, if you want to call him a fullback, H-back, whatever. But you had Aaron Rutkowski, you had Trey Millard, uh, you had Dimitri Flowers. Of course, you've had Jeremiah Hall. You know, I, I don't know if it's under the radar, but OU's had a ton of success recently with those versatile H-backs that they've had. I, um, I, I wonder if Jeff Levy's going to continue to recruit and use that type of H-back player. It's kind of too early to tell, but for whatever reason, I get the feeling that the H-back position might be making of a little bit of a disappearance out of the program. Am I wrong on that? I don't think so, and I think that has more to do with the fact that you know those those guys are disappearing, Tyler. It takes a very specific type of player to want to be that type of dude because you got to have a you got to have the body type, right? You got to have the skill set, and increasingly at the prep level, the likes of Jeremiah Hall and Dimitri Flowers and Trey Millard are disappearing. You can't as easily recruit those guys anymore. Mikey Henderson was going to be the next great H-back at the University of Oklahoma. He was a quarterback in high school. So not only do you have to find a guy that physically fits that mold, but he has to be willing to step into that role once he gets to campus and change positions because the H-back position in that sense doesn't exist at the high school level. At least not yeah, across the board. So, yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, we are witnessing probably what will become the end of the H-back era at OU. Quickly on the Air Coverage Solutions text line, I never like Riley's approach. We all saw the holes in that philosophy last year whenever your two-year guy doesn't turn out to perform and you're forced to play the inexperienced backup. It is a good point. I mean, it, it looked for a while like it was just going to be an assembly line. You come here, you redshirt for a year, you start for two years, you're a first-round draft pick, and then you move on to the next guy, right? Well, it kind of seemed like it was going to be a similar line that looks like, but that, that didn't happen last year. And let me ask you this, Tyler. You think you think OU would have liked to have Chandler Morris in their back pocket that Saturday afternoon course, in Waco? Man. Of course. When I, Rattler hey, I'd could, like to have him this year. I mean, look, that that is that is the game you can point to as the prime example of the holes in Riley's philosophy because Rattler couldn't figure it out that day. Caleb Williams couldn't figure it out that day. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was one week after Chandler Morris torched Baylor for 500-something all-purpose yards in a 30-28 upset victory at Amon G. Carter Stadium. So that is one of those games where you would have liked to have literally anybody else on the roster that was capable of taking snaps because – when Rattler's off his game, and when Caleb Williams was off his game, and with how much tension there already was in that situation, Chandler Morris could have been the guy to dig you out of that hole. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Hey, we are in the uh, heats, or at least I am in the heat and the humidity in Houston for the show today. Live at the Rustic, downtown Houston. The Toyota Center is somewhere behind me. Uh, Minute Maid Park is somewhere by me, you know, where the Atlanta Braves clinched the uh, World Series last year. No big deal at all. Appreciate uh, my good buddy Wallace Marsh for sponsoring our trip to Houston as we're promoting the OU Coaches Caravan live at the Rustic tonight. CBS ranked every Power 5 coach in college football. Where did Britt Venables rank? We'll tell you that and more coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We are the homeless Sooner fans. 
Locked in with McComas and Thune on this Tuesday, live on The Ref. We are the home of Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, I'm in Houston today for the OU Coaches Caravan, live at the Rustic downtown, 1836 Polk Street. I know a lot of you Houston listeners are going to come by tonight. Look forward to seeing you. Hey, CBS does this every single offseason, but they rank uh, 1 through 65, the best coaches in college football, and Brent Venables has made the list. Um, you even want to take a, a guess at all on uh, where BV ends up as his uh, inaugural ranking in the CBS uh, head coach rankings? <sighs> I'm going to say somewhere in the late teens, early 20s. No, uh, he's back at 45. Oh, and, wow, uh, okay. 65, 65 head coaches were ranked. He's all the way back at 45, just in front of Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri and just behind Justin Wilcox at Cal. Now, they do say that they believe this is the highest a debuting head coach has ever appeared in their CBS coach rankings. It says it doesn't come as much of a surprise. Venable's been a defensive mastermind, won uh, multiple national champions at uh, championships at Clemson. Everyone wondering when he was going to get his head coaching job. Now he's at a powerhouse like OU. Uh, We'll see if he rises up the boards. It's hard to put him exactly like a number beside it on he's the blank head coach without an overall record to go with it. But, man, I know he doesn't have an overall coaching record, but he's got a pretty great track record when it comes to being an assistant coach. And you could be a great assistant and maybe not pan out to be a good head coach. I know we all have the feeling here that he's going to. But you said the high teens, and it's the highest ranking they've ever had for a debuting head coach. I would have put him at much higher than 45. Yeah, as would I. But, you know, I I understand that you want to limit your optimism, I suppose, when a guy has never coached. At, well, as a head coach before. So if it's the highest ranking they've ever given to a first-time head coach, I guess I'm okay with it. I just I, I don't know if you can sit here and tell me that there are 44 head coaches in the Power Five that are better than Brent Venables, even though he hasn't yet coached a game because when you look at everything he's done as a coordinator, you can't tell me his resume doesn't run circles around that of a guy like Justin Wilcox, for instance. Sure. Well, I, I mean, let's just ask the question this way. Justin Wilcox at Cal was ranked in front of him. If you polled all the ADs or all the fan bases in the country, who would someone have rather have? Uh, Justin Wilcox or Brent Venables? Right. I feel like they'd have Brent Venables if they're smart and they know what they're talking about. Same thing with Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Same thing with Lance Leopold at KU. Now, Shane Beamer, he's one of our guys. He's hard to make fun of, yeah. but he's at 41 on this list. Tom Allen's at 40. Steve Sarkeesian's at 39. Like, all of those names so far, um, I think everyone would agree, yeah, I'd probably rather have Britt Venables. As yeah, and here's, 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 here's an even better way to think about it, Tyler. Take any of the 44 names that precede Brent Venables on that list and ask yourself, how many of these schools would fire that guy at a moment's yeah. notice, if Brent Venables picked up the phone and said, hey, I want to come be your head coach, I would venture to say yeah, there are uh, a lot of them. Illinois would fire Brett Bielema. Oregon State would fire Jonathan Smith. TCU would fire Sonny Dykes. Tennessee would fire Josh Heupel. I don't know if Florida would fire Billy Napier, but Kansas State would fire Chris Kleiman, I bet. I mean, to your point, that, that that's just in the you know 31 range. I mean, we could probably get in the fringe top 25 mode. A guy hasn't coached a game yet, 
and I think the majority of uh, people, yeah, would fire their head coach to get him. Now, I don't think that what the national media is saying about this Brent Venables accurately depicts what ADs across college football think of the guy. I mean, there's been several schools out there that have tried to hire him before. Auburn, as we know, has been one of them. So I feel like whereas the national media are just looking for clicks and saying, yeah, he's a first-year head coach, we'll see if it works out, but I'm not so sure. I bet the ADs uh, across the sport would have a much different opinion of Brent Venables than some of these other national guys would. Probably because they know a lot more about Brent Venables than a lot of these national guys, too. Because it's a very tightly knit circle when you're talking about collegiate administrative offices across the country. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And so a guy like Brent Venables, if you can if you can fathom him commandeering more respect than he does amongst the media, he probably commandeers even more respect amongst administrators across the country. Yeah, great point on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. They have Sarkeesian ahead of Venables. Sark failed miserably at USC and went 5-7 and seven in, in his first year at Texas. Having him in front of Venables makes this list completely illegitimate. Fair point. I, I, again, it's hard to maybe accurately put a number on Brent Venables because he's 0-0 zero and zero as a head coach, but that's a thing, Parker. 0-0 zero and zero as a head coach is better than the 5-7 and seven that Sark had last year at Texas, and it's a hell of a lot better than the record that Sark had at USC where he got fired. So... Doesn't matter if he hasn't been a head coach or not. The zero and zero record he has is still far better than a guy like Sark at UT. But again, Tyler, I mean, we, we were mentioning this in the first hour when I was on with Steely. There's something about Texas. I don't know what it is, but there's something about Texas. There's something about Texas such that ESPN's computer modeling data has projected that the Longhorns have the fifth highest odds in all of college football. To make the it's playoff down. in 2022, coming off a five and seven season. Yeah, I mean it's it's they have Nebraska, the favorite to win the Big Ten West this year, and not like the Big Ten West is loaded, but Nebraska, I don't, they're not the favorite to win the Big Ten West. They were three and nine last year. They haven't been a bowl game in what five years now, something like that. That's um, astonishing and, and, to me. Because they they did the exact same thing with Nebraska in 2019. Nebraska was the preseason favorite in the media poll in 2019 to win the Big Ten West, even though they were coming off two consecutive seasons in which they had failed to make a bowl game. And lo and behold, I'll I'll give you the spoiler, Nebraska didn't come close to winning the Big Ten West in 2019. Sure. Brent Venables will be much higher next year than 45 on this list. And another riser that I think we're going to see. Now, Florida's got some issues with their team that they need to figure out. But I'm very high on Billy Napier. I don't know if I don't know what it is with me in Florida, Parker, with this new staff. Is it that I like Billy Napier? Or do I just like that they have 200 staff uh, for their football team right now? I can't really decide which one it is. But I think Billy Napier is going to be a big riser at 32 as well. Yeah, Florida's got something in Billy Napier. That was a home run hire. As soon as that vacancy came available, I said, Billy Napier is the guy that they should throw money at to be their head coach. Obviously, they were able to lock him down pretty expediently. And there is plenty of reason to believe that Florida's going to go places under that dude because he can coach. By the way, they only did the ranking from 65 to 26. They're going to do the top 25, I'm guessing, tomorrow. 
everyone's favorite overrated coach, uh, Mike Leach, ranked 26th on this list. So, Look, I, uh, I, I, I don't Leach have a problem with that. continues to hang around. I don't have a problem with he that. Rose, uh, he rose seven spots from last year, from 33 all the way to 26. So I'm going to go ahead and bet, though, that Brent Venables is in the top 25 next year, all the way back from 45. He'll uh, he'll rise more spots in this ranking than any other coach in college football. Was anyone like to take that bet? Anyone? I would say most people are probably on the same page with you there, Tyler. I, you know what? I, I am surprised, though, because Marcus Freeman is actually ranked behind Brent Venables at 49. I thought that everyone was just under the impression that Marcus Freeman was already a top 10 coach in college football. And don't get me wrong, I really like Mark, Marcus Freeman. I think he's going to do a good job. But everyone's saying how awesome he's going to do. He's never been a first-year head coach before. But then everyone else nationally saying, well, Brent Venables has never been a head coach before. So that, that never really made sense to me, but he's – Ranked behind BV, which is kind of puzzling. Now, there's I a, thought that he'd be in the top ten. Obviously, there's a lot of love for USC bringing in Muleshoe and LSU bringing in Brian Kelly, but the three best hires of this coaching cycle were Billy Napier at Florida, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, and Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Not necessarily in that order, but that is my top tier. I think those three guys are yep. poised to have a lot of success. All right, text line 651-3439. Keep it coming there. One final segment of Locked In is coming up next, live at the Rustic in downtown Houston, sponsored by my good buddy Wallace Marsh. We'll close up Locked In on the other side. Keep it locked right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. All right, final segment of Locked In with McComas and Thune. Bob Stoops coming up at 320, so be sure to tune in for that. Again, big thanks to... My buddy Wallace Marsh here for sponsoring our trip to Houston for the OU Coaches Caravan. Speaking of uh, speaking of Houston, Parker, I was asking someone today who does sports radio here, and I said, "Is this an A and M town?" Because I've always been under the impression that it is an A and M town. And he's a he's a tech grad, and he said, "Man, I don't know. There's a whole lot of A and M fans here. There's a whole lot of Texas fans here. There's a big crowd of LSU fans here. He feels like it's pretty spread out." Now, how would you describe OU's current efforts in Houston recruiting-wise? Because obviously A&M, Texas, and LSU have had success in the past. But going back to like 15, 20 years ago, Oklahoma State was having some decent success in Houston as well. Has has Houston been a place where OU can regularly tap into and get some four- and five-star prospects, or has that been more of, Maybe the the Metroplex in the Dallas area. Uh, no, I mean, you think about the guys that are currently on the roster at Oklahoma. Houston is pretty well represented. I'm just going off the top of my head here, but Marcus Stripling is from the Houston area. Uh, David Aguebu is from the Houston area. Uh, gosh, I know I'm missing – but if you look at who they're currently recruiting, Jaquazi Petaway is a big target from that vicinity as well. Uh, Mabry Mataire uh, brother of McCade Mattire, so I guess you can throw McCade Mattire into the mix as another Houston area guy that's on the roster. I I would say Houston is pretty well represented and will continue to be pretty well represented. Delarian Turner Yell came from Hempstead, which is just outside of Houston. So um, I don't know if it's necessarily ever going to be as prevalent as DFW in terms of its representation on Oklahoma's roster year to year. But, no, Houston is, has been, and will be an area where the Sooners pull some talent every single year. Uh, By the way, Air Comfort Solutions text line, they all think the list, the best Power 5 head coaches by CBS, someone in the 918 list is a joke. This one says, Texas fans are so bipolar. 
By the end of the season, they were calling Sark a failure and wanting him fired after one season. Now they believe they will win the Big 12 and go to the playoffs with the same head coach and a quarterback that's never started a college game. Do Texas fans actually believe that, or is that everyone else telling them that that's what's going to happen this year? I, I, this could be wrong of me because Texas fans are a next level of arrogant, but I almost feel like they've been beaten down to a level where they're saying, I'm not going to believe it until it actually happens. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess it depends on who you talk to because you can't paint with too broad of a brush for any fan base. And so there are probably Texas fans out there. I don't know any, but there are probably Texas fans out there that have a pretty accurate understanding of what their football program has been for the last decade and are more sitting on a wait-and-see approach before they start to hype them up as a contender in college football. But there is certainly, and this you see this a lot more frequently on Twitter, there is certainly a percentage of the Texas fan base that will drink the Kool-Aid every single year and believe that this is the time where the Longhorns finally break through and that Quinn Ewers is the second coming, that the wide receiver room is going to be the best in college football, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. By the way, someone on the text line says Jalen Hurts and C.D. Lamb, two Houston guys. Well, I heard you and uh, Steely earlier today. Not everyone's claiming Jalen Hurts, correct? So I guess Steely's not. I, I claim Jalen Hurts. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us. Bob Stoops coming your way at 320. The rush is next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans.